Hey Atari Hackers, welcome to the Atari Hacker Podcast. Today we are back with our normal video and audio quality. Sorry for last week, it wasn't the best. And also today we are back with Mark who was on a trip in Cyprus, not Malta. Whoops, I actually gave you the wrong information last week, but now he's back and so I put him back to work and I made him prepare a podcast on your favorite topic, link building. So in today's podcast, we are going to be talking about nine advanced tips that you can use to get more links out of your link building. This is an advanced podcast. This is for people who already do link building. But if you want advanced stuff that is not necessarily talked about a lot on other YouTube videos and things that you might be consuming around link building, you're in for a treat. So let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. My name is Gail Breton. I'm one of the hosts of the Atari Hacker Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about link building, as I said in the pre-intro. So you guys, I'm sure a lot of people are excited right now watching the premiere or something. And talking about that, I want to thank everyone that started really engaging with us on YouTube. It's doing really well right now. So thank you for that. Thank you for the subscribes and the likes. If you haven't subscribed yet, don't forget to subscribe and click on the bell so you don't miss the videos. And every Monday, we actually release these podcast episodes, but we are actually live on the chat at the same time, answering people's questions about authority sites, thing building, or anything else you want. If you're on the premiere right now, we are on the chat probably, and we're going to be here for the foreseeable future every Monday. So join us on YouTube. It's kind of fun. Uh, and there was over 130 people last week so pretty happy about that so yeah come and join us it's pretty fun and now there's also something that we've been missing for two weeks so how's it going mark welcome back to the podcast how was the trip i missed this yeah so it was good as you can see from my my suntan yeah i was away in cyprus on a trip last week and uh yeah i may or may not have said malta the whole show last week but yeah yeah, and also in the email you sent out to 70-something thousand people. One guy messaged me on Facebook and he was like, Hey Mark, I live in Malta. I've got some, I can show you around. I've got some great recommendations for where to go and stuff. And I'm like, sorry, dude, Gail just sucks at geography. And he was like, haha, so there you go. <laughs> oh, well, that happens. But yeah, anyway, it's like, I was like, well, if I was wrong in the podcast, I might as well keep with the story up before we'll be confused. So it's like, now you're confused, but it's been a week. So hopefully everyone's okay. Anyway, no dogs today. If you want the dogs, let us know in the comments, by the way, <laughs> we can bring them back. But today we're talking about link building and we're talking about advanced link building. So what we're talking about in this episode is not how to get your first links. We have other episodes for that and you should definitely search for these. There might not be video. We have a lot of like audio podcast episodes. You might want to search for these on SoundCloud or Spotify or something like this. We have a lot for beginners, but today we're talking about advanced tactics to get more links out of your link building. Essentially, if you're already doing link building, how do you get more links without spending more resources, doing some smart tips and tricks? And that's what we're going to be talking about. And it's really Mark's field. Link building has been something you've been focusing on for like past few years. Like I haven't touched it a lot. So you're really going to be talking a lot and my job is to essentially ask you all the questions that people that are listening may be asking, challenging, etc. So uh, be ready. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so let's just get straight in with the tips then. Tip number one is to enrich your data using census information. Now, what I mean by that is that whenever you get 
a list of emails to send out from a tool like Hunter, say. Often Hunter will, Hunter.io will provide you with the first name of the user. And it, it gets that some of the time, but not all of the time. And I think we did a study on this last year. We analyzed, was it like 600,000 outreach 600, messages 000, yeah. we did? And we tied back not just the response rate, but the successful link placement to a bunch of factors. And what we found is that when you had the recipient's first name in the outreach message, you didn't get any more responses, but you got significantly more. I think it was 50% more 50%, links out yeah. of it. Yeah, which was a really kind of quite eye-opening, actually. So what that told us is we need to get people's first name, but it's quite difficult to do that at scale if Hunter isn't getting it for you. Like, what do you do? Well, what we found is that in the email prefix, so my email address is mark at authorityhacker.com. So the prefix would be mark. In that prefix, often there was someone's just full first name. And so what we did is we just went on Google and searched for like US census data name list or something. A lot of programmers, a lot of script creators will use big lists of names for various things. So there's a bunch of uh, text files out there which you can, or CSVs, which you can get lists of like five, 10,000 names. So what we did is that we built a formula in Excel which would extract just the email prefix of all these email addresses from our the outreach of Hunter. The formula, I'll put it in the, the lesson notes. I'll put it on, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll put it on the screen. It's, it's not the a lesson. Left formula. <laughs> Whatever. I'll put it on the screen on the video. It's the, the left formula. So you're basically looking for any character which is one before the at symbol in an email address and then pulling out everything to the left of that. So once you've done that, you then V look up the US census name list. So is does that phrase, does that word appear in that list? If it does, then you can safely assume that that's someone's first name and you can use that in the first name field. And the, the good thing is you just create that formula once, drag it down and you can do a you know infinite size list. And you can usually get like 20, 30% of, no, I think it's like 15, 20% of names that you, you wouldn't have gotten from Hunter. So it's a really good way to enrich your your data. Your data, yeah. So it's really big for like these big prospecting the sales company, right? They really is like obsessed with like enriching their data. It's something that outreachers don't do that much. I mean, as we promoted Shotgun, obviously, we're like, well, you don't need all that stuff. It's kind of like this 80-20 thing. Like maybe sometimes a little bit of data can bring, like if it doesn't take too much resources and if you can automate it like that, then it's probably worth getting still. You still get better results by having more personalized emails. It's just sometimes it's not worth going all the way because it takes you so much time per email that you send so few, so much fewer emails. So it's kind of like finding that balance. This is why we're saying this is an advanced podcast. You don't need to know this if you haven't done any link building or if you're just getting started. This is one of those things that you can add on at some point later. But as you said, it takes very, very little time to do this. Uh, so it's I would fit it in the 80-20 on the 20% of things that you can do that get 80% of results side of things. So definitely something that can should be can and should be added to any outreach campaign. If you're on the audio of this, we'll be overlaying some footage of Excel on, on top of us talking, so you can go check the video for that. And if you're on, you're on YouTube, you, you're seeing it already. Yeah, and then actually the success rate went from 3% to 4.5% for these outreach. So it's like, it's pretty good. The funny part is the, the replies were almost the same as well. There was 17% with the, the name and 15% without the name. And open rate was like slightly higher as well with the name, 60% versus 53 So it's like, 
it's not a complete game changer, but yeah, in the end, we got still 50% more links. And if you're sending thousands of outreach emails, it really will make a difference over time. It's, it's these 1% improvements, really. Anything else on this? No, no. So the next one is around how to merge multiple Ahrefs link reports. So Ahrefs, great tool if you want to put in a, a website or a URL and get a big list of all the links that you can find who are pointing to that, that page. Now, when we're doing link building, like guest posting, shotgun skyscraper, often we're building pretty large campaigns and these are targeting people who are linking to multiple sites, sometimes hundreds of different sites. And the problem is that Ahrefs doesn't allow you to bulk export multiple lists at the same time. You have to go in, manually click the button, and then after you download it, you have to wait eight seconds before you can request the next one. I think there's some kind of mechanism to prevent the ser their server scraping. getting overloaded or something. I'm, yeah. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, scraping basically. So that presents a bit of a problem if you have to do hundreds of lists. So and I'm going to talk a little bit later when I talk about automation and building tools to automate parts of your link building process later in this, in this video, in, the, in this podcast. So I'll, sorry, I'll explain how to overcome that in a way. But if, if you're still downloading them manually, you'll end up with this big folder with dozens or hundreds of these CSVs. So how do you merge them all together? Well, there are a few ways to do that. You can actually do it in command prompt in Windows. There's a, if you navigate to the folder where they're all in and you do a star dot CSV and then give the file a name, that will actually just merge them all. Um, it's actually really easy, it's free. Yeah. Yep. There's a, it'll merge so hacker way of doing it, yeah. There's a tool called merge hyphen csv.com where you can, it's a free tool, upload a bunch of CSVs, it'll merge it all together. Now, the problem with that is that if you upload the standard Ahrefs output, it'll be all gobbledygook. It won't, won't understand it. So when you're downloading the Ahrefs files, you need to, instead of UTF-16, select UTF-8 file format. No idea what that means, but it's some kind of different text format, I don't know. But if you do that, it works with Merge CSV. Uh, if you don't do that and you're a member of one of our products, then we actually built a tool that also does it as well. So if you log into your AHPRO or, or TAS member portal and you click on the tools button at the top, there are a few tools there that do various things. One of them is merge all of these CSVs together. So the use case for this is if you're doing a big, let's say shotgun skyscraper campaign and you have a hundred different competitors that you want to outreach to the people who are building links to that, you can make one single campaign in Mailshake or GMAS or whatever tool you're using to do your outreach. And then you can merge all these CSVs together, throw that big list into a tool like Hunter and extract the emails that you can find from Hunter and then put it all through as one campaign. And it just dramatically speeds up your processing rather than having to upload each one, one by one to Hunter. Or as I've seen some people do in the past, copy paste uh, the data from each one into the next one. And it just it's a very slow manual process. So yeah, yeah hopefully this should, should save some people some time in that front. That's the reason why people hate link building. Uh, when they stuck at like 9 p.m. doing this. So yeah, it's mostly for like large outreach campaigns. I guess it can work for guest posting as well, provided you just take a bit of a different angle. I think it can work. And some filtering on the on the targets. Okay, not much to say here because I was going to ask for use cases, but yeah, you, you answer that. So practical tip. Next point. This is actually really important because I guess three, four years ago, 
all we did for link building was shotgun skyscraper because it was just a, like the golden goose that would never stop laying eggs or whatever. Then we showed it to people. <laughs> yeah, then, we showed, then we showed it to all you guys and it still works. Like we, we still do it for all of our sites actually. But what we've noticed is that there's a huge drop off as soon as you start outreaching to sites, which are DR around about 60, 65 or higher. Those sites, the vast, vast majority of those sites ignore all kind of shotgun type outreach. And you need to go in with a much more tailored, customized pitch to send any chance of being heard. So we create a simple filtering system where anytime we're doing any kind of out, any kind of mass outreach, like shotgun style, as soon as a site is that we're going to outreach to is identified as it depends on the site, but usually DR60 or, or higher, we will just take it out of that that prospecting list and put it into another prospecting list, which we take a lot more time with and send much more sort of tailored outreach messages to. That way, we're still able to reap the benefits of something like Shotgun without burning our our list or our reputation in the industry by outreaching to all the top players with, you know, average quality kind of outreach mess. Yeah, I was going to say, it was one of the biggest downsides of Shotgun Skyscraper. It's like, well, it's cool, but like you're actually essentially burning yourself out and looking like everyone else, not really standing out with the big players, the guys that they won't link to you in any way. And like you don't have like another shot at the first impression and it kind of like sucks. So it's like, yeah, I would tend to even like not be afraid if it's a very competitive niche to even put the cutoff below DR60, like I wouldn't be afraid to go DR, below DR50. Another cutoff that you can look at, a cutoff point is organic traffic. Um, like sites with more organic traffic, you can be more customized and sites with less organic traffic, you can be a little bit more shotgunny slash standard, etc. It's another way you can use both or you can use either. Like it really depends on your niche for this one. But yeah, just simple, take your prospect list, Above the R60, above 50,000 traffic, let's say, just put them on one end and put someone that will actually take the time to outreach properly. And the rest, you can go more mainstream shotgun, etc. And then you accept a slightly lower success rate. But in exchange, you get to outreach to everyone, which you cannot do individually for all of that. So, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a bit of a 2020 adaptation of, uh, of the tactic, I would say. In a good sense, maybe let's 29, let's say 29, 2020, nothing. Like we, we don't want anything to be 2020, so. I don't know how that reference is going to stand up to the test of time, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, never mind. All right, so I want to talk a little bit about Harrow, Helper Reporter Out. Great link building tool, or not really a tool, so a platform you can use to build links is free, yeah. very, very sort of white hat and also very easy to do. It doesn't really take much time and you get some really good links out of this. They tend to be homepage links, but not very, so not particularly great for like, if you really want to boost a specific page, but to grow your overall domain authority, it's great. Problem a lot of people have with it is that they don't know which queries to answer and they kind of just like shoot around like, oh, maybe answer this one today and oh, I'm too busy, I won't do this one. And the lack of a solid understanding of what they should be answering and what they should be leaving means that they get poor results, low conversion rates, and therefore they're like, oh, Harrow doesn't work for me or whatever. So there is a certain subset of Harrow queries, which I call mega roundups. So you might have seen some of these uh, articles around. It'll be like these 96 entrepreneurs share tips on choosing a business name. And 
someone to create that article, someone has gone to Harrow, they've posted a query asking for people to submit their tips. And then they've, they'll literally just take anything which is legible, yeah. doesn't look terrible, and you know, is just kind of all right. Like their bar is pretty low for what they'll take. And probably a good yeah, use of GPT-3 all right? <laughs> like you could probably use GPT-3 to answer Harrow, no? <laughs> uh, I don't know. That's an interesting point, actually. I would love to see. <laughs> actually, yeah, that's a pretty cool experiment. What if we? What if we just? Uh, Automate the whole thing. Maybe we should cut. Maybe we should cut this out of the show yeah. so we can try it first. But I don't know. We're gonna get sued by Session yeah, so, for destroying so, their service. Total, you know? total sidetrack. But what if you went through and just responded to every single Harold query every day with a GPT three answer? What would your results be? Yeah. How to it's kill kind of, another kind of scary when you do that, is it? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, like in a non-GPT-3 world, you want to be identifying these mega roundups because if you send a, any kind of response that's half decent, more than likely you're going to get the link from them. Your conversion rate is going to be very, very high. So they tend to be a query. It's hard to say from the, the query name, but if you read the first couple lines of the question in the, in the Harrow newsletter, it'll say something like, I'm looking for opinions on... And that's the real giveaway. If they say they're asking for opinions, uh, plural, then very often it's going to be one of these mega randoms. You can kind of tell by the, the queries as well if they're looking for someone to answer a very specific question. But if it's a more open-ended question that could have multiple ideas, often creative things like business name ideas, or you see a lot of these in like customer support, customer service, what's your top customer support tip or hiring tip from hiring managers is another one. Um, and a lot of people, they're a little bit worried that they work in, I don't know, got the golf industry so they can only answer golf queries but it's absolutely okay i mean you're running a business an online business so you can answer queries related to running an online business which most people are going to be doing things like hiring or choosing a business name you know for sure is one so broaden your your outlook and, and what you can answer um but if you only I think have that's the high quiz how right it's like you can answer all the business queries as long as you're kind of like running your website or something like this and like for us for example yeah. we got a ton of links from working remotely because all journalists were working writing about this this year like that's the 2020 tip i guess and yeah it's like as long as you have a website your website owner your business owner you can answer all business queries and even if there's nothing about your niche you can still get a ton of links especially from these i guess it's kind of like what's it called cross niching like that we did a we did a show on cross niching in link building so if you try and find a link between what you do and the query and you really try and be creative about it don't just say oh no i can never do that then often you can so Use that to your advantage with Harrow. But really, if you have no time to do do Harrow queries, then just look for these mega roundups, answer them, and your conversion rate will be super high. Yeah, you're pretty much getting every time unless you really have a bad answer, I guess. And all your site looks shit, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. They work really well. What's the next one? So the next one is when you are answering Harrow, just for a second, like think about the person on the other end. So they're probably going to get dozens, sometimes hundreds of queries from all sorts of people. And all the emails will start to kind of like blend in together in a way. So how can you make yours stand out? Well, how do you make an article or a section of your article on your blog post stand out? You have a subheading, which usually has larger text or it's bold or it's stronger than, than the rest. You can do that in your email. So rather than saying, hey, my name is Mark, I run Authority Hacker, blah, 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 blah. Like 
they don't really care about that. They just want to know that they want to scan your email and then want to know straight away, what is this tip about and do I care? So by having a, a headline or subheading after your intro and just before your actual, the value of your tip or your answer to the question comes, by having that, that subheading and making it bold in your email, it stands out and they can quickly see what your tip is and say, do I want to listen to this? And then go through and, and, and actually read it. So we've noticed a significant increase in our link acquisition rate through Harrow since we started doing this in our, our, our responses. Now we did do in a few other small changes at the same time. So I can't pinpoint exactly the numbers of uh, growth that get the, that this gave us, but it's something we continue to do in, in all our all, all our responses. I was going to say like, journalists have no time. They get, they, you know, they have to produce two to three pieces a day or something, it's crazy. And anything that you make to make things easier for them, so like highlighting the part of the email that actually you can use and copy paste in the article will increase your success rate. Basically, if you make their job easy, then you're more likely to actually get the link at the end and, and be taken. So it's, it's all about formatting. Like you can see when we send emails, even us, you know, um, if you're on the, by the way, we send a lot of emails on the newsletter, so make sure you're there. But we do use subheadings, et cetera. So you get to scan and you can go wherever you want. You don't have to read the whole thing, et cetera. Same on, on YouTube, for example. Now we have the chapters so people can skip to whatever tip they prefer and they, they can skip the rest, et cetera. And as long as you make these better, like for example, I worked also for example for us on YouTube. When we actually started using chapters, average view time went up 30 or 40% actually. So it's kind of the same thing, makes things easy for people in your formatting, in your email, et cetera, and you will get more success basically. Yeah, I, I just want to give an example of something there. So if the query was uh, for entrepreneurs, you know, what is uh, uh, your best tip for choosing a business name? Your subheading in your email, which you make bold, would be something like choose a business name that is that is unambiguous when spoken. So like that, and you would then go on to explain what you mean by that, maybe give an example or two. But that is the 80-20, the crux of, of what you're trying to communicate. And they can understand that immediately. Yeah, basically that's it. I have nothing else to add. I already said what I had to say. So moving on to the next one, I want to talk about email deliverability for a bit because this is a this is one of these areas that's sort of like a bit of an art because no one really knows how the yeah. email algorithms work in in G Suite or Gmail or anything like that. There's a lot of theories. There's a lot of things you can do, and I just want to share some practical tips that I think have have helped us, and I know have helped some of our members, particularly those who who um, got, not banned, but ended up going, getting a lot of uh, email going to spam and like how to fix that problem because it is something that's actually pretty straightforward to fix. First of all, in email deliverability, there's three things you need to set up. Uh, so your SPF records, your DKIM records, and your DMRAC records. Just Google this and, and figure it out. Yeah. What I will say is that when you uh, are setting up SPF records, your domain should only have one SPF record. So if you have multiple like your your one exists already and then you're adding in another one those two should be combined into one record not a big deal i think it don't i don't think it affects deliverability to g suite or we had Gmail, that issue but, uh, and it hasn't really changed anything yeah like we fixed it, it apparently it, it apparently it may affect deliverability to like hotmail and yahoo and some of the older older systems okay but yeah just just be aware of that Warm up your inbox with actual messaging. So this is this is really important. Don't just start spamming out uh, link building campaigns on day one. Start slowly. If you can, start with more targeted, like sniper style 
outreach, which is going to get you actual responses. Whenever someone responds to you, even if they're like, no, we're not interested. Sorry. Thanks. Reply to them saying, no problem. Thanks anyway. And that little like back and forth communication, that is part of your emails warming up process. I've even heard of people doing crazy things like making fake job ads to get a bunch of people to email that's in. That's my tactic. That, that, that's uh, what I wanted to try. <laughs> it's like, I mean, you don't have to do fake ones, right? If you're, I was telling you, like, we want to get a lot more people interacting with the emails. What is the place where people reply to emails when they actually apply for a job and they actually have to send multiple pro uh, documents, etc.? And so I was like, well, you can just run recruitment on the same inboxes as your outreach, even if it's real recruitment, right? If you want to do it in a clean way, just run it on the same ones. For example, the Atari Hacker email is also an email that I've been using for a long time before. That's how we warmed it up. And that actually helps also our email marketing because it gets more email in the inbox because I've been like, there's actually a history to that email address. So you can do that, actually. I'm almost certain that I heard this from someone else. I can't remember who. Maybe they heard it from you. I, I don't know. Pretty sure I came up with it. We talked about this with Jason. <laughs> it could have been him, actually. It's like I, I gave that tip to Jason who told you that because for sure it's like it's, a, it's my interest. Well, secondhand information here. I was going to say it's like anything with link building. There's a line here, right? You can obviously do some pretty shady shit with that. I'm not saying for a second you should, so be be a little bit careful. With that you one. can do it in a clean way as well. Like if you really run recruitment, run it on the same email. Why not? What does it hurt? It's nothing. You can even do filters. You can do filters so it goes in different uh, tags on Gmail and it doesn't have to pollute your whole inbox, etc. If you do it in a clean way, you can do that. I'm telling you, there's also a lot of people that use micro micro workers to warm up emails. Uh, micro workers is like a, a place where you can set up some small tasks. For people, you know, you pay a few cents and they do something. You can tell them to email your email. So like reply, Amazon MTurk and then they reply or back. whatever. Yeah, it's just an easier interface. MTurk is just really hard to use. Uh, micro workers is easier. So you can do that. They email you, you reply back and they reply back or something. And then you do that to like with 100 or 200 people. That massively warms up your email and you can, it doesn't cost a lot. So if you want to speed up the warm up of your inbox, that's what a lot of people do as well. Is it really unethical? I don't think so. I don't think it's like, I don't think it's hurting anyone, to be honest. So yeah, that's the two ways you can warm up your inbox is using job offers and micro workers. There's a tool out there called Glock Apps, which you can use to identify whether your emails are actually being delivered, if there's any kind of problems with that stuff. And if you do find that your a lot of your emails are going to, to spam, and this can happen if you've sent... If you haven't warmed up your inbox, you've sent a bunch of templated emails, not very customized, and even just two or three people have clicked report spam. It doesn't take much for email providers to start moving your, your uh, emails into spam. But similarly, if two or three people go in and find your emails and click not spam, it's also often enough to, to move your emails from spam to not spam. So the takeaway there is just get a few, email a few friends or family members or colleagues or whoever, and then ask them to find it in their spam box and hit not spam. In, I think every single case where this was happening to someone, when I told them to do that, it fixed it. So it's a, it's a pretty good solution there. And just on sort of like suspensions and banning and stuff, I think over the last few years, I've seen like four or five people say or think that they've been banned from G Suite for doing email outreach, when in fact it's a, a, an automated user suspension, which is a process, it's an automated process within G Suite. If they think that someone's hacked your email account and is using it to spam people, they'll suspend that account 
they acknowledge that they could be wrong about it and they say it's an automated thing. So just log into your admin panel and re-enable it. Simple. It's like Facebook has basically. It's yeah, like they randomly ban you just in case, you know. One thing that I want to say as well is that uh, from several people, I've heard that Glock apps actually is not 100% accurate and that it often says that you're fine and not landing in spam and then you actually send a campaign, you'll end up in spam. Seems like Gmail is actually flagging some of the addresses of Glock apps and not necessarily returning the exact same result that they would actually do. I haven't tested it first, and it's something I heard from people. But you know, something to keep in mind. So probably want to test it in real life as well. Uh, another thing, if you want to get higher deliverability, if you don't land in the main tab on Gmail, in the primary tab, then you can ask people to take your email and drag it to the primary tab. And it's more likely for other people to also land in the primary tab when you do that. If you could do that with our emails, that'd be great, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, it also helps quite a bit. And it's also a, like a trust signal for these things. It's kind of funny how everyone talks about SEO and nobody talks about like SEO for email, basically. You're like uh, It's a huge thing as well. I actually watched a, a webinar. Yeah, I watched a webinar on this. And it really is like a dark art kind of, uh, of, of how to do it. More often than not, though, it's applicable for people who have email lists, like subscriber lists rather than email outreach. Although if you're doing large enough campaigns, then yeah, a lot of the same I think it's still worth looking into this, yeah. All right, let's jump on to the next tip. Next one is uh, using Scrapebox to find email addresses. So if you've been listening to Authority Hacker podcast for any amount of time, or you're a member of any of our courses, you know we really like to use hunter.io to find email addresses. It's a very simple tool. You give it a domain or website, and about 40 to 60% of the time, Hunter is able to find an email address for someone who works there. The problem with this is that there's another 40 to 60% of the time when they can't find said email. So what do you do in those situations? Well, there are a bunch of tools out there which will go and like scrape the website and try and find email addresses. But the problem, and Scrapebox, which we'll get into in a sec, has a, a tool that does that. But the problem with that approach is that the quality of the results is very, very poor. So often you'll find that someone else's email is on there or a writer or someone in the comments has posted their email, some random stuff like that. And it'll just pull email addresses which are completely unrelated. So the quality is very, very poor. A really good source of high quality emails though is the Facebook page, so the social media page of the website. So if you're able to find the Facebook page, and then if you click on the About tab and go to the About section of their Facebook page, a huge, huge number of websites have their email addresses there. I believe when you set up the page initially, maybe automatically pulls your email from your account or you have to put it in, I forget, but for whatever reason, a significant number of sites have an email address there, which you can use to, to contact people. So that's fine, but you don't wanna go through one by one and find everyone's Facebook page and then find it, click on the about page to get the email and see if they have it and add it to the list, you know. It's just gonna take forever on a, on a big list. So there is a process you can use in Scrapebox to essentially automate this. And if you don't wanna pay for Hunter, by the way, you can put this process first so that you can just run this process. And once you've bought Scrapebox, which is a $97 one-off fee, it's a desktop tool, by the way. Actually, no, like if a... you go on scrapebox.com slash BHW, it's $67, actually. Oh, okay. There you go. So once you bought Scrapebox for $67, then you have lifetime access and you can just keep running this, this process and generating 
a lot of free emails. So what you do is that you first need to have your list of websites you want to find email addresses for. Then you need to find the Facebook page URLs for all of those. So Scrapebox has a free add-on. It's called Scrapebox Social Account Scraper add-on. So just install this add-on from the menu and then you input URL list and it will output a list of all the social media pages broken down by you know Facebook, YouTube, et cetera, for, that it can find for those pages. Obviously you can discount all the non-Facebook ones, just take the list of the Facebook pages. Then what you do is in Excel or Google Sheets, you can just append forward slash about to all of these URLs and to get the about page. Now, one word of warning here is that the Scrapebox social account scraper add-on, it's not 100% accurate. So what I found is that a lot of the time it'll just pull facebook.com, like the homepage as the URL. Not quite sure why that happens. So if you just sort the list in ascending order, it's going to, and then scroll to the top or the bottom respectively, you'll just find all of these and you can just remove them. So once you've done that and you've appended forward slash about to all of these URLs, then you can put the URLs into Scrapebox's URL harvester. And then you want to select the option, grab emails by crawling websites. Select a depth of one, which means it's just gonna look at that page. And what Scrapebox is gonna do is gonna to go to each of those Facebook about page URLs and then say, can I find any emails on here? If yes, it's gonna pull that emails into your list. And there you have a free way of finding at scale a lot of people's email addresses, which is pretty handy. You can run this then Hunter as well, if you want to save money on Hunter, like only on those that you didn't find with that. Actually, yeah, Facebook is probably the best place to find the best email to outreach to people. Always. Yeah, anecdotally. So for small to medium sites, I think it's better for large sites, not so much as you're not really, they often don't have like a personal email in them. So for larger sites, it's usually better to go with Hunter first. For small to medium sites, I'm not 100% sure. But what I will say is that the quality of the Facebook page URLs we found anecdotally seems to result in higher success rate and more links. I suspect that's because more people have like their personal emails in there or something when they first set up the page. Less people outreach that way too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah, so it's like there's like, it's less crowded. You probably land, like there's a good chance you'd land in another inbox. It's not the same one as like the contact page or something. And it's not, there's not a million spammers there until this podcast. Um, <laughs> so, that, I mean, let's see. But yeah, I can definitely see this working uh, better. Uh, anything else on this or should we go? No, let's move on to the next one. The next one is around hiring link builders, how to do it, when to do it. So by far the most common problem I see when people start doing link building is, well, first of all, they hate it. So they think, how can I outsource this? So they put job ad up and say, I want a link builder who can do this, do this, do this, do this. Now, the majority of the time, the problem that they have is that link building requires a lot of different skills and a lot of different levels of those skills. So you have to be good at organizing data, at judging whether sites are good or bad, at writing emails, at communicating with people by email, responding to people. And all of these things don't tend to be so many people that are good at all of them, right? So what you need to do is you need to break down your link building process into different roles. So typically you will have your earlier hires will be a data person. That person is doing all the scraping, all the list building, all the prospecting, everything up to the list of people who you're gonna, gonna message, right? 
and uh, maybe if the templates are written, you know, putting that into a tool like Mailshake and sending it out as well. And the other type of person who's very, very different and often more expensive is going to be the person who communicates, who responds to the emails. Whenever you're doing outreach, or, or if you're sorry, or if you're doing sniper style outreach, the person who's crafting those unique messages. So these parts of the process are probably the most important and they're what separate a kind of poor to average campaign from a really great campaign. If you're able to communicate clearly and effectively with people who have responded to you, especially, then you're going to do well. But if you can't do that, or if you're not very good at doing that, then your results are going to be poor, unfortunately. So whenever you're hiring for link building, I suggest breaking down the process into multiple parts and hiring specialists in these areas, even if it's someone who's on an hourly rate rather than hiring someone full-time to take care of it. Because even the best people in the world tend not to be so good at doing both of these things. I think it's not just that. First of all, it's cheaper. And second of all, it's like if they, if they quit, you lose the whole thing, you know? So it's much better to have multiple people as well. It's at least you don't lose everything at once. So yeah, I think, uh, and, and just proper link builders are just like, they just know if they, if they understand how much a link costs, then they will probably be too expensive for most people who listen to the podcast or not the best value, I would say. And I actually have another tip. This Let's call this a guest tip by our, our friend Jason, who runs uh, weoutreach.co. And they do this link building for clients. So their scale that they're doing it at is pretty crazy. And they're all about eking out as much efficiency in order to maximize the profit, right? So one problem they had was that they found the higher level people were spending a lot of time filtering sites and deciding, do we really want a link from them? How much, how badly do we really want a link from, from this site? And if they're having to spend, even if it's just 20, 30 seconds here or there, checking out a site, putting in HRF, saying, is it good? Does it have traffic? What's the trend? Is it legit? Is it a PBN? That was actually quite a lot of time and quite a lot of time from expensive people. So what he did was he then put that part of the process, the kind of filtering process, through to more or cheaper people, basically. And then by segmenting the, the roles in that way, he was able to increase efficiency very, very significantly. So that's another way to think about structuring your, your team as well. And also the, the thing is like a lot of people imagine that hiring multiple people is more expensive than hiring one person. Doesn't have to be, right? You can pay people per hour or something and end up around the same price anyway with multiple people. So I would say I, the problem is like, well, you deal with multiple people. So, so it's like, it's a bit more management. So it's not all perfect, but you will end up with cheaper links at the end. So if you want to optimize your cost per link and if you want to have some stability, it's probably the best way to do that. That's another debate as well about should you hire people per hour or full time? You know, the benefits of, of hiring people full time is you can really train them and, you know, show them exactly another how you want to do things. <laughs> yeah. But the big downside is that now we notice this with writers as well, is that you will go through times when you won't want to be doing a specific type of link building or content creation, whatever it is. And for whatever reason, you, you just need to like scale things back or you're focusing on something else. Uh, and in that time, when you have to pay someone who's, you know, a specialist yeah, in that area sucks. to do it when you don't want to, it's kind of like a bit annoying. So I would suggest where possible getting people on an hourly basis until you can really, really justify full time, full time people helping you out. All right. Let's jump on to the next, the last point, actually. All right. This is link building automation, the holy grail, right? 
Probably why we need to put on a thumbnail, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Most people who are doing any kind of significant amount of outreach have a level of automation in there, right? It's not just someone with a bunch of spreadsheets, you know, pulling it back and forward. Most people will build macros or scripts or mini tools to help out some of the more repetitive parts of the process. And it's pretty simple to do this, uh, but I see a lot of people tripping up when they, they attempt it. And there are a number of reasons for that. The most common one is that people think, oh, automation, I'm just gonna hire a developer and then make a massive program and he's gonna build me a button that says build links and it's just gonna build links, gonna do everything. Totally the wrong approach. These types of tools and scripts and macros, which you may, may wanna create for whatever your process is, they are inevitably gonna be more complicated than you first imagine. So the way we've been successful with building tools to assist us in this way is by taking very specific processes that have a clear input, a clear set of processing steps that need to occur and a clear output, writing that down in a requirements document and even the fact that like when you force yourself to do that, it's going to force you to think exactly how you want to run that process. Because I remember when we first did this, one of the first things we built was a macro in Excel, which would choose the best email address from Hunter. Because often Hunter will give you 10. You can set it to do just one now, but back in the day, it, it would always give you a minimum of up to 10 email addresses per domain. And it's like, well, which one do I pick? Just the, the highest one? Or, you know, is there, is there some other way of, of choosing? So it turns out there was. So we built a macro that would essentially choose. And we had to figure out what our own internal algorithm was. Like we figured out oh, we're actually choosing individual people a lot more. There's certain job roles we're choosing more, certain names we're choosing more than than others and there's certain prefixes like you know sales at that we're avoiding more than others so we could start building up a kind of level of logic to it and so we created a requirements document which was here is the type of file which the program the macro should get here are the steps it needs to go so step one you know choose the highest personal score step two choose specific ones step three avoid these specific ones or pick everything else whatever it was we created that that document and then just hired a, a guy on upwork i think it was to create a, a macro to do this in in excel and it was like 100 bucks 120 bucks i think and yeah there we had a that was the first part of automation we did. We've since done a lot more than that and you know, moved away from macros because at the scale we were doing that, it was just taking too much time. But the principle of how we automate things in our process is the same. We pick a specific part, we document it internally, we're clear about the input, the process, and the output, and then we give that to a developer and they build that. It's not actually that difficult. And a lot of tools out there, Hunter, is a good example. A lot of other tools out there have APIs. Uh, and I, I presume most people know what they, they are. If, if you don't, it's like, I don't even really know what they are, but they're essentially <laughs> an interface. I was ready for your definition. <laughs> yeah, I need to be careful here. Someone's <laughs> definitely going to be correcting me. So in my non-developer world, this is what I think APIs are. They're an interface where someone else can build a program or a script that interfaces with another piece of software to 
input requests and get out data. So a good example of that would be scraping dot services, which is a website. And if you, they have an API where you can send it keywords and it will send you back the entire SERP, like hundred results for, for that. So you can obviously use that in link building processes in a number of ways, but it's very easy for a developer to create a script or a tool which will interface with that API because they're all very easy to use and most of them at least are well documented as I understand. And so using these APIs, you can- Except the HRS one, yeah. <laughs> using, <laughs> using these APIs, you can do a lot of cool stuff and basically you know, get a head start by just using other people's software and interfacing. You have to pay for it obviously, but it's very easy to do. Yeah, some of them are free, but I think one thing to take away from this is don't try to rebuild what exists already. I think a lot of people try to do that when they try to automate, and it's a massive mistake. I've seen people try to rebuild Ahrefs, try to rebuild all of that, etc., and every single time it failed. Every single time. They've wasted tens of thousands of dollars, they had devs that didn't know what they were doing, didn't know the industry, ended up with a result 10 times worse for 10 times the price when they could just pay for the API. Build your automation around what exists already, so around Hunter, for example, for link building around even tools like Bustream, for example, have an API you can import, export stuff, etc. So you can essentially think of think of the tools you're building as better versions of Zapier, where you just connect things together, and there's maybe some little processing that's done, maybe reformatting of the data so it fits into Bustream or something like this. These are the kind of automations you want to build. And the good news is it's not it's not even that expensive when you do these things because these are just tiny scripts that run on cheap servers. You can pay these servers like five bucks on DigitalOcean or something per month. And then the developers will not cost a lot of money as well because it's very simple. And it's also very simple, so it doesn't require a lot of maintenance. Unless the API changes, which is quite rare, you don't really have to rebuild these things, which is also something to think about when you build tools is maintenance. Because let's say you build a Google scraper, for example. Sounds like a great idea. Oh my God, I'm gonna scrape my, my results directly on Google, etc. It's cool, except Google changes the code on their page all the time. And it's like, actually, you, you will probably end up having to maintain that and pay someone to maintain that. It's going to cost you a lot of money over time. Why don't you just use an API to take the results? You know, you could take the results from, I can't remember which ones, but like a, a search, a rank tracker, for example. Probably, I think maybe Serpu can probably give me the top results or something. And I can use that and I can like put that into Hunter through their API and get the result and then retransform that and then put that into Hunter, into, sorry, uh, into Mailshake or whatever, Hunter themselves, they do the average now. But that's what you want to do. So think about this as a better Zapier. That's how you build automation. You don't build a button that does everything and automates everything. That's how you waste your time. That's how you waste your money. And I'm waiting for someone to prove me wrong, especially in SEO, because yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that. I'd also say having done a significant amount of link building automation four plus years now is that whatever you build is likely going to change quite significantly. So don't kind of overbuild and overinvest in, don't go all in um, yeah. automation. As cool as it sounds initially, uh, it gets exponentially more complicated to create, exponentially more expensive to update and fix the further you go into it. So just keep it simple. The economics of, of automating this stuff, they only really work if you're at like a pretty extreme scale, which most people listening probably are not. Yeah, you know it if you're there. Like there might be a few cases where it makes sense, but like you're already like eight figures a year or something. Anyway, anything else to say on this? No. 
All right. Well, guys, thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and if you want more link building stuff, drop us a subscription below, click on the bell and drop us a thumb up. It really helps with YouTube. If you're not on YouTube and you're listening to the audio, well, you should come and join on the premieres every Monday. It's kind of fun. And I'm bringing back the question of the week because I said I would do it and I didn't do it for three weeks. So I'm bringing it back in the comments below. Let us know. What link building method has been the most successful for you? What is working for you right now? I would say for us, helper reporter is probably one of our best right now. And it's doing really well, Howl. So I recommend that you check that out. I just want to clarify that. I wouldn't say that. You know, there best. was a music I'd to say... close the podcast and you just you just killed it all right now. But okay, fine. Sorry, sorry. Let's go. I, I, gotta, I gotta say, it's not our best in terms of number of links, not by a long way. I'd say it has a very high conversion rate. The amount of links and the, the, the amount of DR we built per hour invested in it is very, very good, very, very effective. And, you know, these are links which we're not getting elsewhere, but compared to some outreach-based link building, I don't think this is good. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to bring back the music now. Thank you for listening and see you next week for another episode and see you on Monday for the premiere. Bye. Mm-hmm.